Welcome to the Accredited Canadians Toolkit, your source for what's new for accredited investors. I'm your host, Sam Perrin. Last episode, I explained how the United States became the dominant superpower after World War II thanks to their unfair advantage, which is having double the navigable waterways as the rest of the world combined. Over the next few episodes, I will continue to share how the history of the U.S. has impacted Canadian investors and how we can draw on lessons from history to chart a course for the future. When the wars were over, the U.S. started the United Nations and associated entities like the IMF and the World Bank. That's why the U.N. is headquartered in New York City. The U.S. bribed everyone to be on their side against the communist Soviet Union by promising to secure the world waterways and allowing all countries to sell goods to anyone else. Everyone's been getting rich since 1945 by trading with each other in relative peace that was provided by the American lethal overwatch. The U.S. has been importing goods from the rest of the world and paying for those goods with U.S. dollars, which was at the time backed by gold. An event in 1971 called the Nixon Shock rocked the world. The U.S. went off the gold standard and could effectively print dollars at will. The U.S. dollar became a true fiat currency. The U.S. also coerced OPEC to accept only U.S. dollars as payment for oil. And I've linked an excellent article about this period in the show notes of this episode if you're interested in the details of this history. Most countries are a net exporter of goods, but the U.S. is a net importer of goods. The Americans do not need to be importing, but they have hogtied themselves with shipping laws like the Jones Act to encourage the import of foreign goods. The Jones Act requires goods shipped between U.S. ports to be transported on ships that are built, owned, and operated by United States citizens or permanent residents. This makes shipping domestically for the U.S. and domestic consumption more expensive, and it incentivizes imports from other countries where wages are cheaper. At the stroke of a pen, the U.S. could make domestic trade a lot cheaper and curtail imports, but they don't. They have been deliberately using their consumers to bribe up an alliance that eventually won them the Cold War. The U.S. has been the winner in this arrangement because they can now monetize their debt. And for decades, they've been importing all the finished goods, TVs, cars, computers, from places like China. And they've been exchanging these finished products for their fake U.S. dollar monopoly money. After decades of this, the U.S. has all the finished goods and China and the rest of the world has the monopoly money. You might be asking yourself, why does the world put up with this arrangement? One answer is that countries have been getting rich from this arrangement faster than their wealth has been eroded by American money printing. That may still be true, but with the accelerated rate of money printing, aka QE, quantitative easing, that we have seen since 2008, it may not be true for much longer. Another answer is that countries of the world have no other choice. Almost all international trade, 85% of it, travels on the open ocean. And the U.S. keeps trade safe by policing the world's waterways with its massive and technologically superior navy, including its devastatingly powerful fleet of aircraft carriers. Smaller carriers are called jump carriers. The larger ones are called super carriers. It takes eight jump carriers to destroy one super carrier. There are 21 of the smaller jump carriers in the world, and 11 of these are American. There are 12 larger supercarriers, and all of them are American. China owns two of the smaller jump carriers, and both are former casinos. The point is that Americans own 96% of long-range global firepower, and at the current rate of global navy build-out, the combined nations of the rest of the world will not have an, a navy equal to the Americans' navy strength until about 200 years from now. They also own the largest air force in the world. In fact, the first, second, and third largest air forces in the world are, number one, the U.S. Air Force, 
number two, the U.S. Navy, and number three, the U.S. Army. So who has the largest military is an important thing to remember. Through the course of human history, violence is the true gold standard. Thus, whomever is capable of the most violence holds all the power. If your rich, crazy neighbor who has 96% more guns than you is very friendly and is keeping you safe from bandits and is eagerly buying everything you make with handwritten IOUs, you'll probably stack those IOUs high, feeling really good about yourself. After all, what other choice do you have? So that's it for geopolitics this week, and tomorrow we'll take a break to answer a question from a medical professional about buying his own office building. On Monday, I will return to macroeconomic themes, namely how the end of globalization as we know it is coming, and how I think about how to prepare for it. Have a great rest of your day. Talk to you again tomorrow.